song for a long time. Welcome back to the second hour of Perspectives on America. Jeff Bennett on this Valentine's Day 2024, I guess. I lose track. Date, years, what's the difference? You know, one of the reasons I wasn't with you yesterday is I was in Horribly, horribly bad shape. Relative lack of sleep I've been tolerating. Um, I've got people recommending take this, take that, do CDC, do this, do that. Nothing's helping. I've got a, a, a pill that my doctor gives me to take when I go to bed, and I don't always take it. None of it's helping. I can't shut the brain down. And then I sit there... I was several hours away from doing programming yesterday, and I had to shut down. I had to send Julie a note and said, I can't make it today. Pull a rerun. And I didn't feel all that great an hour and a half, two hours ago, because I have had so little sleep. After I did my running this morning, I got back here, took care of a few things. 
and about 10 o'clock, tried to go to sleep, and I kept waking up, and I just, this is insane. Why? What keeps my mind just full? I look at some of the pieces that, uh, it's interesting, I, I received an article from Tom DeWeese a week or so ago that I meant to publish and I didn't, and I came across it in my email, I was going to say Saturday night, I don't mean Saturday night, it was like Monday or Tuesday night of this week. Um, in in fact, I posted it, I published it on Stinkin' Lincoln's birthday two days ago. And it answered a very interesting question from Tom. I've known Tom for a lot of years. And he's one of those few people that is well-known around the country. And occasionally I'll send him an email, and it's surprisingly how quickly I get a response. His question is, who do elected representatives think they are representing? Now, the image that he had published on, on his website, American Free Press, is was quite interesting. American Policy Center, I'm sorry. I didn't like it. It was too blah. The whole, but I found the right one. Elected representatives. The monkeys in the zoo, because that's what they all are. But Tom begins by asking a question, how is it possible that someone is talented and involved enough to run for political office and win an election, but once in office has no clue of the origins or purpose behind the very policies they are forced to consider? Specifically, policies dealing with comprehensive planning, things like smart growth, 30-30 land issues, energy, transportation, all of which affect the day-to-day -day life in the community. And these are the issues that every city council and county commission in the nation is now faced with imposing on their own communities. And yet when citizens attend council meetings and seek to speak out in opposition discussing how such policies are negatively affecting their property rights or small businesses, their neighborhoods, are often met by their elected council members staring at them with arms folded, scowls on their faces, and gavels in hand ready to stop the testimony. But even worse, if opponents try to explain that such policies are rooted in the Global Agenda 2030, the Green New Deal, or the Great Reset, now the officials really become agitated. You'll get several different responses. One council member might say, I've never heard of this before. Another will chime in and say, these policies are all local. And then comes the final comment on the issue. This is just how it's done. Everyone is doing it. My friends, those are the same kind of responses that our parents get when they go to school board meetings. This is crap. But 
Now a growing tactic by local and county governments is to hide behind the edicts of government-appointed boards. Tom DeWeese has worked across the country to stop the assault on private property in the farm industry. Many elected officials have responded saying that they oppose such plans, but there's nothing they can do because appointed utility boards oversee the issue. That was the case recently in Iowa and South Dakota. Local residents fought to stop the enforcement of the carbon capture pipelines in which private corporations were using appointed public utility boards to gain the power of eminent domain just to take the land they wanted for this private corporate project. Well, we seem to forget that Keystone Pipeline did much the same kind of thing a few years ago. We understand the point is that Appointed boards are created by elected officials, usually to be the workforce to carry out programs that they approve. And those appointed boards represent no one. They do not have the right or the power to make policy, but they certainly do not have the power to prevent elected officials from representing and protecting the wishes of their constituents. And the elected officials are the boss of appointed boards. Any politician who uses the lame excuse that they have no authority to stop the actions of an appointed board has a different agenda. They want to avoid dealing with the very people who put them in office specifically to protect their rights. In short, they are cowards working against the people. And there is not a city or a county or a state or a federal position Anywhere in this country that doesn't deal with these same issues day after day after day, people. Which means we are having to face the issue. So the question rises, where is the Republican Party? For as the insanity spews out of the Democrat Party, the longtime overseer of limited government, free enterprise and individual liberty has no response Republicans have no unified plan to counter the demon craps and indeed seem confused rather than offended by the socialist antics. So for the election of 2023, the Virginia Republican Party's official plan to win the statewide election to control the legislature was to encourage Republican voters to sign up for mail-in ballots or to be sure to vote early rather than to wait and vote on election day. And for the past three election cycles, the Democrats have proven this ballot strategy to be the kingpin of ballot insecurity, people. Democrats have the people in place to watch all of the early ballots as they arrive. This allows them to gain an early knowledge of how the vote is going and where they need to push for more ballots for their own candidates. And the result of the Virginia election was no surprise to anyone knowledgeable on how the Democrats operate. And what happened? The Republic rats lost everything. How can the leadership of the party not understand that they were falling right into the Democrat trap? Why won't the Republican Party nationwide take up the fight to demand Election Day voting with paper ballots? as a means to assure election integrity. One great example of how effective it works is the recent Iowa Republican caucus, where votes were all cast at the same time on paper ballots, and the results were known almost instantly. 
people for over 200 years. This is how the United States conducted elections in a fair and honest process. And yet today the Republic Rat Party remains silent and complicit in assisting its own demise. They're gutless. And at the congressional level, it gets even worse. A few years ago, as Republicans were faced with the most open and blatantly radical agenda yet proposed by the Democrats, they missed their greatest opportunity to go on the attack and expose the insanity of the real goals of the global left. The Green New Deal represents the largest step ever taken by the socialist, sustainablest forces that have been pushing Agenda 21 for over 30 years. Introduced by one of the most radical members of Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Republicans, like Senate leader Mitch McConnell, simply laughed, saying it was just too radical to be taken seriously. And then the laughing really began when the Republican-controlled Senate brought the Green New Deal up for a vote, and the tally was 57 to 0. The Dems didn't even vote for it themselves, went the joke. Such a silly, stupid little girl, they said with great hilarity. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I got a picture of a little girl wearing a red baseball hat. Instead of saying MAGA or Make America Great Again, it says Make Ocasio-Cortez Bartend Again. Leaders of many establishment conservative organizations in Washington, D.C. laughed at that stupid vote as well. Except that the fools of the Republicans and some of those establishment conservatives have they failed to understand the determination of these forces behind that city little girl. The Democrats set a trap and the Republic rats marched right into it. How stupid. And what really occurred is that the Socialist Democrats made a classic negotiating tactic. They came to the table, delivered the most radical, complete, all-inclusive agenda for the total takedown of the American Republic. Our free enterprise system. Our property rights. Our way of life. And the Republic rats were completely unprepared for it because they're stupid. Because they've ignored the warnings of those of us who've led the fight against Agenda 21 for 30 years. The Green New Deal sounded too nuts, too far out. <laughs> no one will fall for that. And they laughed and dismissed it without a thought. The Senate vote showed them, didn't it? The true form for these elected officials who refuse to take the time to research and understand the true goal of such policy, the Republicans fell into the trap. Example, Florida Republican Representative Matt Gates announced that he was working on the Green Real Deal and said Gates' bill would be more reasonable. In the classic response in the Senate, Tennessee, the Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander countered with his Manhattan Project for Clean Energy. The difference from the Green New Deal? Almost nothing. Senator Lindsey Graham said, we owe it to the country to have an alternative to the Green New Deal. He said he was frustrated because large parts of the Republican Party still resist the idea of climate change legislation. 
Did any of these leaders ever take the time to study the roots of such legislation and read what the forces behind it say it's all about? Graham and other faltering Republic rats seem to not understand that any attempt to provide an alternative to the Green New Deal actually serves to legitimize the dangerous, wrong-headed leftist environmental movement. My God, people. This is exactly what the Democrats are counting on. They made an outrageously radical proposal that moves the agenda miles down the road and then... To be more reasonable, these stupid Republicans join right in with just a little smaller proposal. That's how we lose our nation. By being reasonable to tyrants. And this, my friend, is the tragedy that is taking place across this nation at every level of government. Those elected to represent the people don't take the time to research and understand the true origins and purposes of the issues. They're surrounded by non-governmental organizations or NGOs that serve as the ground troops for the global forces. And the NGOs bring them the legislation, the talking points, the grant money, all in a neat little package. And they apply pressure to ensure that the officials support their agenda. Incredibly, the officials call the NGOs stakeholders as if they were constituents who elected them. And meanwhile, except for a few, we're not there. They feel no pressure from us, no threat to their future. Is it any wonder why local citizens who do try to speak out get the evil eye when they come to oppose said policies? So in order to change this situation before the nation is completely lost, which maybe it is anyway, Americans who oppose such policies must learn, must learn a very important lesson. The other side has a clear agenda, and they will not back away from it. They will not accept defeat, but supporters of the American tradition of freedom don't have such an agenda. We've simply been reduced to defending freedom. It's not working as we have lacked the ability to express what we mean by freedom. And hence, we must find a way to define our own agenda, get on the offensive, demanding freedom in every government action at every level of government. We must learn to paint a clear picture as to what life in America will be like under our vision of freedom. We must make our opponents responsible for their own policies, put their names to them, make them defend their plans. My friends, in the founding documents of this nation, we were assured that the government did not grant us our rights, but that we are born with them. Our rights are not constitutional rights. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights granted us nothing. But we have those rights despite those documents. For we are endowed by our Creator. Government's job, according to our founders, is to protect what we have naturally. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson said that our liberty is self-evident. In today's language, that would mean obvious. But unfortunately, there's no longer anything that's obvious. And as sad as it is, liberty should be obvious. It is, it is to some. But we make the mistake of thinking it is obvious to our fellow Americans. 
Today, we do not have a government that respects those rights. Just as our founders experienced with the king, we now have a long train of abuses from the government. We now stand in the same place as our founders stood in 1776 when they took action to end the tyranny of a king who refused to address their grievances. And we the people created Congress and all other levels of government. Unlike a kingship, they work for us. But they are out of control because earlier generations allowed them to do so. And for too long, we haven't been there to ensure that they're listening to the people. But the forces who seek total control are there. And so elected representatives think they are representing them. Not you. Not me. Today's freedom activists must organize effectively. And ladies and gentlemen, I am now speaking to you, the listener. Because Tom DeWeese has put this in a better form than I ever could. And I'm sharing every damn word of it with you. It's amongst the reasons I'm so darn angry all the time. I can no longer stomach the direction this nation has taken. I can no longer stomach the fact that that too many people out there are just tuning in to various broadcasts. We're all upset. We're bitching. We're moaning. We're complaining. But we're not listening. And this column I'm sharing with with Tom DeWeese is the best piece that I could ever share. As Tom continues, he's talking about these characters in Washington and in our individual states, but they're all out of control because earlier generations allowed them to do so. But for far too long, we as a people have not been there to ensure that they are listening to the people. But the forces who seek total control are there. And so elected representatives think they are representing them, not you, not me. Hence, today's freedom activists must organize effectively. And that specifically requires action at the local level. The further government gets from the people, the more corrupt it becomes. Let us organize to change all of that. And now's the time to prepare for this year's vital election. If it's not too late. Do not accept the defeatist attitude that we cannot win. Get involved, people. Don't let your local board of elections cop out by saying that the state legislature makes the rules that there's nothing they can do. Organize to keep the pressure on each and every one of them to make sure that all is run fairly and legally. Volunteer to be election observers. Ensure votes are counted legally and accurately and do not allow anyone to push you out. Forces which may want to do harm are less likely to do it if they know they're being watched. Simple. Tyranny ends when free people stand strong. That must be our duty for this year. And for every year for the rest of our lives, people. We can't sit back. 
and cast our vote and expect that that those who we have voted to do their job. We cannot do it. Because we see what the end result is. You understand? I hope so. It's unbelievable. It is interesting how when time comes along, we come across similar things, similar pieces of writing. My friend Al Benson wrote a brief piece the other day that I'm going to try to share with you before we go to break. Al says, we will have world government whether we want it or not. Al saw an article on Dr. Joseph Sansoni's website about Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin that exposed much of what the Biden-Obama regime is really all about, which is the promotion of world government. Al says he can't quote the whole thing, but there were several relevant parts that were worth noting. The Russia-Ukraine war appears destined to break America. Still, consider the conflict from the perspective of globalism. If the intention was to break the U.S., then that goal has been furthered. In fact, consider the possibility that the U.S. military, since at least the post-Cold War, has been a mercenary force for globalists to further the goal of world government while simultaneously depleting America of its resources. And that is on the money, folks. Why are we involved with so many wars around the world now? This is insanity. It's necessary for the creation of a world government. An American-dominated world interferes with the globalist designs. I mean, the author was right on the money. If you can't have a global world government unless the U.S. falls, then it would appear that the fall of the U.S. is a prime objective of the current Biden-Obama regime which has always been one of their prime objectives from way back when B.O. first took office as president. And they've never deviated from that objective. It's a major part of why Obama was so hot to fundamentally transform the United States. Trump's Make America Great Again agenda threw a monkey wrench into that, which is why the Biden administration is literally trying to move heaven and earth to keep Trump off the ballot this year. If they can just reinsert, reinsert Benedict Biden or possibly Mike Obama back into the presidency by any means necessary, then they will have four more years to put America down and work to install a one-world government in place. That's really what transformation of the U.S. really means to both Biden and Obama. It's why they were both put into office to take this country as we know it down for the count. And if that happens, my friends, we can all kiss our Bill of Rights a fine goodbye because you'll never see it again in our lifetime. One world government advocates like the World Economic Forum, the Forum, the Council on Foreign Relations, and a host of others will relegate our God-given rights to some United Nations committee that will decide whether you can and cannot do 
All you folks that have been conned into voting for Biden, who should know better by now, need to realize that the Democratic Party and an awful lot of Republicans are willing and eager to make the U.S. part of a one-world government where our God-given rights will simply evaporate. Need to realize that the Democratic Party and many Republicans... Many of those Republicans are so brain dead, they don't even see the reality beneath them. It's appalling. Let's go for a quick break, and we'll be back. The best of the free life is still yet to come. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. truly want to stay out of the system? Are you prepared to buy into the biggest scam since the Iraqi dinar? If not, then put your money where it belongs in your possession, not in the hands of an international MLM cartel. At Kettle Moraine Limited, we will provide you with the finest Swiss-minted detachable gram sheets of pure 24-karat gold for hundreds of dollars less than the so-called privately issued credit cards with elusive gold backing. Gold backing... The only gold that I want is in my back pocket, not backed by promises of an operation even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is suspect of, giving a rating of C-. To get the full story, visit SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com and go to the Valcombi Bullion Vault. Once you have read the whole story about the scam being perpetrated on an unsuspecting public and how you can avoid being a victim by purchasing these beautiful, barterable, tradable sheets of gold at tremendous savings and in the strictest of privacy, be prepared to take the steps to protect your wealth with the purchase of the real deal. Detachable 50-gram gold bars from Kettle Moraine Limited by calling 602-799-8214. Ask about our one-ounce Valcombi detachable bars, which break into one-tenth ounce bars. And don't forget, for all of your precious metal needs, whether buying or having the need to sell, call Kettle Moraine Limited. Remember, no dinar, no celery, and no carrots. If you buy from someone else... Tell them you want AU, not BS. Call Kettle Moraine LTD today at 602-799-8214. Kettle Moraine LTD, 
Interesting. You know, having worked with Michael at the studio for so long, he's got a good feeling. Some of the right pieces of music are just a flat pull. I don't need to pull them out. Hey, quick thing. Um, considering we just ran our ad, one of our ads, um, I've got, um, I don't know how much. It'll be a few days before I receive it. I've got a bunch of junk silver coming in. Uh, I don't know if it's mixed, dimes, quarters, half dollars, whatever the case may happen to be. They should be arriving early next week. We'll determine what we're sitting on. And if you've got some uh, interest in getting some old 90% silver American coinage, we're going to make it worth your while. And uh, I'm told that there could be the equivalent of two full bags, but I don't think so. It might be a bag and a portion. But uh, as soon as I get the numbers and get them all counted through and see what we've got, we'll go from there, figure it all out. And uh, if you have an interest in some of it, give me a call, 602-799-8214. Also working on some... Uh, apparently some one-quarter-ounce uh, American Eagle gold pieces that we may be getting in. So uh, those will be affordable. And uh, give me a holler on that stuff if you have an interest in it, and I'll at least make a note, give you a call when I get it, if I get it. And uh, we'll go from there. So 602-799-8214 is our phone number, 602-799-8214. You'll notice I've not been making a lot of offers with gold and silver lately. Um, It's not that I don't have access to it. I do. Uh, Just a lot of things going on right now. I'm going to share an interesting story that um, commentary that came to me a little after midnight last night. And it's when I wasn't able to sleep and I just got up and started looking through. And this came from my good friend, Justin O. Smith. And it's short, simple. Will it offend some of you? It probably will. 
but don't let it. It's entitled Racism from a Child's Perspective. Justin talks about remember drinking from a water fountain in 1964 in a bus station in Columbia, South Carolina with a sign above it that read colored water. Justin and his family had just arrived and were waiting to be met by his father who had gone ahead of us to prepare a place to live because he'd been sent to Fort Jackson to train troops. When Justin first read that sign in 1964, he thought, I wonder what color it is. He knew nothing about racism in America. They had been living overseas in the Canal Zone for the previous three years where it wasn't an issue. He'd be attending, he'd been attending the school on post at Fort Davis with the other little children of all races. Needless to say, everyone in the area watched him with some consternation, even dismay, as he walked up and took a good long drink. Of course, his mother was clueless at first, and upon realizing the disruption he seemed to be causing, she hurriedly and somehow and somewhat urgently told me to return to his seat beside her. And that was Justin's first encounter with racism in the land of his birth, from which time he saw it, he learned of it wherever they went in the States. He's never shaken the feeling of how so many of his classmates could so easily, so readily hate another little boy or girl simply because they weren't white. And he's never shaken the disgusted, sick feeling it gave him the first time he heard one white boy call a black boy a nigger. A word that Justin hates to this day, regardless of whether it's Jay-Z or Eminem using it. America's grown. She's gone through some changes. But it's been a sad journey in so many respects, Justin says, to see a country that holds so much potential held back and dragged down by concerns that don't amount to a hill of beans in the grand scheme of things. And by people, black and white, who seem unwilling to admit and acknowledge that we all bleed red and there's no good excuse for not uniting as one people to make this country greater than she's ever been. Now, things were getting exponentially better between the black and white races by the 1970s, even with the implementation of affirmative action. Bit of a backdoor reverse discrimination. But then along came Obama's administration. And the old fires of racial hatred were stoked to a blazing blue hot fever pitch. And Biden's regime has poured gasoline on it to the point of making it open season on white people by any black with a real or imagined grievance. Until people start living by the golden rule. And actually paying more than lip service to Martin Luther King Jr.'s words on judged by the content of one's character and not the color of one's skin. And the words E pluribus unum will continue to mean nothing. And we will continue to experience terrible, horrifying acts of violence and civil strife and upheaval in America. There is a problem within the hearts of far too many Americans today, and it's serving our enemies from within. 
and their agenda for the total destruction of traditional America. Teach your children well. And that one thing, perhaps there remains a few grains of hope. I'll tell you why Justin's personal piece, and certainly not as lengthy as he normally submits to us, We've got it published at federalobserver.com. It's called Racism from a Child's Perspective. It had tremendous meaning to me. I remember the amount of time I spent in my life with grandmothers and great-grandmothers. I was very privileged. My great-grandmother, Maud, who lived in Ravinia slash Highland Park, Illinois, my great-grandmother Gretchen, who lived just outside of Eagle, Wisconsin, my first home, living in a small cottage on her property with her huge pre-Civil War home four minutes away from where we lived. The barn, her gardens, everything. Staying with my great-grandmother, Maud. I knew her landscaper, the man who would trim her grass and cut her bushes, Walter. Black man. A man of color. It meant nothing to me. He was a decent human being. I remember living in the home in Northbrook, Illinois. 20 minutes away from Grandma Maud's. And live in a brand new home on Big Oak Lane in Northbrook. Half a block away from Dundee Road. Two blocks away from Waukegan Boulevard. Interestingly enough, at that intersection where I had my first job at the age of 14 working Tony's Drive-In. Had an aunt and uncle that lived a block and a half away. I wanted babysitting for a lot of folks in the street, in the neighborhood. Had young boys, young girls, whatever. Took care of a lot of these kids, had a lot to do with their upbringing, so to speak. I was trustworthy. Babysat the house next door. Babysat the house two doors down. Babysat four houses down across the street. Very common. We had no basement in our home. My bedroom on the west side of the house and every Wednesday our garbage would be picked up back in the days when you didn't put your cans out in the street they would walk up to your carport grab your can roll it out, empty it, trash it, etc our garbage man was a black man never called them blacks Something that just never entered our mind. 
There's times I'd stand up in my bed and open the window and chat with a man. A human being. A nice man. That's how I was raised. When Once I went in the service, you began to see some different attitudes. Oh, I saw some that and dealt with some that were not particularly kind people. But then I dealt with as many equally unkind white people as well. Look at people as a human being, not because of their color. By the way, on this article we published by uh, Justin O. Smith, Racism from a Child's Perspective, we also included a video, a YouTube video. And deals with Birmingham, 1963. Talking about three witnesses to the struggle of civil rights. It's a video well worth watching. So if this commentary upsets you, I owe you no apology. I will extend not at all. It's life. It's how you grew up. Annie Holmquist. <coughs> All the years I've known of Annie, her predominant direction in writing had to do with the public education system. And she spent many, many years writing for, and predominantly the main author uh, or, 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 or director of the intellectual takeout education section about mid-year last year she decided to step out she's got her own site set up she writes for a range of people she still writes some stuff and submits some stuff to intellectual takeout she's got stuff at at um, epic news a couple of other places I came across one of her latest pieces she submitted to me called Stamping Out Cynicism in the Trenches of Life. Advice from Teddy Roosevelt on how to better see and approach the world. And she said she was recently struck by how cynical our society has become. The thought came as she encountered one critical comment after another on various websites she was visiting. Because it seemed like people had found fault with anything and everything and felt the need to publicly express it. And he says it's discouraging and annoying. And judging from the responses of others, I wasn't the only one who viewed those cynical people in such a negative light. But then Annie began to reflect on her own life. Sure, she wasn't the one making the negative, cynical comments online, but was... Was I making them in conversations with my family, my friends, my co-workers? Unfortunately, she said, I had to admit that such was the case. Why are we such a cynical society? Why do we feel duty-bound to vocally criticize something that we don't agree with, nitpicking at any small detail that's a degree or two off track from our own standard of perfection? And if cynicism so pervades today's society, what will it be like 10 or 20 years down the road when today's children have grown up saturated in 
said cynicism. And while Annie was pondering questions such as these, she stumbled, perhaps providently, on a chunk of text from Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech. And in reading it, she realized that her concerns about societies and her own cynical nature were valid and certainly something to guard against if we wish to be strong individuals. And both Roosevelt's observations and a look at our own society suggest several reasons why cynicism increasingly rules the day. The first, she says, is our education system, which has advanced the concept of critical thinking for years. And although supposedly a technique through which to objectively analyze and weigh an idea, modern critical thinking has turned into a more of a mode of deconstruction, a way to tear down rather than build up profound thoughts and connections. And Roosevelt described the man of learning and the man of lectured leisure as the individuals most likely to fall prey to the temptation of cynicism. But although cynicism and critical spirit feed the pride of intellect and give the illusion of individual achievement, in the end they serve only as a bait and switch, leaving weakness instead of strength. Roosevelt said a cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize work which the critic himself never tries to perform, an intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities. All these are marks, not as the possessor would feign to think of superiority, but of weakness. And the second reason cynicism is so present in our society is that we are surrounded by wealth, and he continues, both in information and luxury. Oh, knowledge is easy to obtain, but the personal comfort afforded us through technology enables us to turn into armchair experts unwilling to engage with society face-to-face. Roosevelt didn't know about Google or smartphones, but he did recognize that a little human connection and interaction with the little people of the John Doe's of the world goes a long way to thwart the cynicism that is so detrimental to a republic governed by its citizens. Roosevelt says, shame on the man of cultivated taste who permits refinement to develop into fastidiousness that unfits him for doing the rough work of a workaday world. Among the free peoples who govern themselves, there is but a small field of usefulness open for the men of cloistered life who shrink from contact with their fellows. In other words, Annie continues, if we want to avoid cynicism, we must come out of whatever closet of isolation we put ourselves in and get busy living life alongside of others, learning from, and listening to those in the trenches of America. There's more to Annie's commentary. And she closes by saying, oddly enough, the sweat and blood and striving of such a position will give you a much rosier hue through which to see the world and its inhabitants. Take a look at it. Federalobserver.com. We've got some tremendously gifted stuff. I don't know what all that babbling was. (laughs) Stuff happens. One of the things that Annie talks about in cynicism 
is something we have to be unbelievably careful with. The lack of character. It's something that our society possesses a general lack of character today. Families are often broken. Churches often preach a watered-down message. Schools have seemingly substituted principles of diversity and equity inclusion for those that once advanced a strong work ethic and fact-based moral code. Do you begin to understand the direction we've gone? For all these things, these lack of character inhibits our ability to face our flaws, to seek remedy for them. And thus we fall into cynicism in which we pull down the achievements of others to better hide the weaknesses in our own lives that we don't want to bother improving. Maybe that's what my problem has become as I've become too... <sighs> cynical. You guys take care of yourselves. Thanks for being with us. Lord willing, I'll be... Until then, without apology, I am Jeffrey Bennett. Do you think we have time? These are the days of the open hand. We will not be the last. Look around now. These are the days of the beggars and the choosers. This is the year of the hungry man whose place is in the past and in a hand with the goods and legitimate excuses. The rich declare themselves poor and most of us are not sure. If we have a too much, but we're taking our chances, say I sang 20 years and a day But nothing will change The human race found some other guy And walked into the flame It's hard to love There's so much to hate Hanging on to hope When there is no hope to speak of In the wounded skies above Say it's much too late Then maybe we should all be praying for time Charity is a coach you win twice a year.
Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. DrinkSuperTea.com. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit RepublicBroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth. 